Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. So I'd like to share some, some thoughts on the theme for our weekend together. Uh, for maybe about 20-30 minutes and then we'll take a short break so if you need to wiggle or stand or stretch for a moment please please take care of yourself feel free to do that so I want to start with uh, with a quote that I really love that speaks a little bit to the overarching intention that um, that I really hold for our our time together that I want to offer to you. This is um, this is from the introduction to one of Jack's books called. Uh, I'm sorry. This is a quote from Jack in the introduction to a book called "The Heartwood of the Bodhi Tree." And it's a, a short story about Ajahn Buddhadasa, who was one of the great Thai forest meditation masters of the last century. So Jack writes, Ajahn Buddhadasa spoke of the healing power of the trees and walkways of his monastery Swanmok in Thailand. When I asked him how so many Westerners who begin spiritual life with deep inner wounds, pain and self-hatred can best approach this practice, he replied simply with two suggestions. First, their whole spiritual practice would be enveloped by the principles of metta, loving kindness. Then, they should be taken out into nature, into beautiful forests or mountains. They must stay there long enough to realize that they too are a part of nature. They must rest there until they too can feel harmony with all life and their proper place in the midst of all things. It's kind of a different different frame, a little different approach maybe than a lot of us have when we think about meditation practice. Yeah, when we think about kind of getting into some state or, you know, sitting in meditation and doing our practice. So I'll be offering a lot of different suggestions this over the next three days for meditation practice, for different techniques and uh, ways of uh, exploring your mind and your heart and body. But I think perhaps the most important thing is what Ajahn Buddhadasa is pointing to, which is first this sense of kindness. 
and I'll talk a lot more about what's meant by that, but just this orientation of friendliness towards oneself, towards experience, and then the sense of connection, a sense of, some sense of being held, you know, that we belong, even in a, in a way that's much deeper than our personality, or our family, or our culture. We belong in those circles, more or less, depending on our, our history and relationship with those, those communities, but in a very, very deep way that none of us can change, that we belong on this planet, that we're intimately a part of life. And so there, there are a few overarching principles that this quote really points to for me that I want to offer to you as an exploration over the next three days. An exploration of your time here. To really consider these next three days as uh, perhaps a little bit of an experiment or uh, like a journey with different way stations and different landscapes And to see, rather than trying to get somewhere or accomplish something or check off all the boxes, what if the intention were to develop a relationship with yourself, with your own mind and body, a friendship? to develop a, rela- a relationship that's based upon mutual trust and respect with your own body and mind. So what would that look like if that were, if that were the overarching idea to say, what would it be like to really listen to myself and what I need What would it look like to really honor what I hear, what I find? So that means that there's a, there, 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 there's a little bit of an inherent tension in the structure. Because here we are at Spirit Rock and I'm sitting here kind of, even though we're in a circle, a little bit sort of in the front this big bell and uh, I'm talking a lot more than anyone else in the room, right? So there's this sense of, of some uh, mutual agreement to give me as the teacher, as the guide, more power, more authority. This is an agreement that we've all made in coming together this weekend, Right? So there's a tension between that mutual agreement and what I'm suggesting, which is to say, what if you were the ultimate authority on what's best for you? What if this were about exploring your own relationship with yourself and that I were just here to offer suggestions and to offer uh, guidance when needed? rather than the one who knows telling you what to do. 
And just even notice for you what that brings up. You know, does that bring up a sense of relief and kind of interest? Maybe it brings up anxiety. Maybe it maybe it has no particular impact. So the the process of awakening as I understand it, and uh, as it's taught in the Buddhist tradition, if you look at the texts and the oral tradition, is a natural process. All of the many, so many of the images in the suttas are of natural processes: a flower blooming, a lotus blooming, uh, um, the, uh, the water flowing through the landscape to the ocean. So there are all of these natural images, and there's this sense that. Uh, there's something innate within each of us as human beings uh, that yearns for uh, a kind of wholeness inside that's our nature. That's not separate or other from us, but that we, we continually overlook or forget or move away from. And that the, the process of spiritual practice is one of, of remembering that nature, of coming back, of coming home, rather than of, of creating something new that doesn't exist. So I just want to offer this as an overarching attitude or intention for our time together, the sense of developing a relationship with yourself, really honoring and listening what what you need and what's true for you. And, uh, you know, finding your own rhythm within the, uh, the structure that, we, that, that, that I'll be offering and creating. And uh, to not push or force things, but to see if you can find a, a kind of gentle steadiness, just a gentle persistence without that sense of strain or striving or pushing that is so much the, uh, the way of being that characterizes a lot of our society and culture. A lot of um, what we're swimming in is this um, kind of this tide of overriding our own innate signals for what's healthy and in balance, needing to, to push in order to meet the demands of a world and a society that isn't really structured around human (laughs) needs. You know, it's structured around other values like profit and... And so uh, the Buddha talked about this path as going against the stream, against the current and the stream of society and against the stream of uh, our unquestioned habits in our mind. 
So it's not just that we kind of like go with the flow and whatever. There is that sense of actually making some effort, you know, showing up. But showing up in this way that's more about um, uh, a gentle persistence and inquiry than pushing or forcing. So there are two kind of complementary themes uh, for our our weekend together, and one is this theme of resilience, and the other is home. Someone said, you know, finding home again. So resilience is that capacity to um, to spring back from an impact or a change. So you look at the capacity of a substance. So I I have these little beads and the the string that they're on has a a kind of resilience. If you stretch it, it snaps back into its original form. And so living organisms have a certain kind of resilience. Any kind of living organism has a certain structure or form. The energy uh, uh, is... um, constellated in a certain pattern, whether it's a a tree or a human being. And when there's any kind of impact or change, that form has a certain uh, range uh, of, that it can uh, can absorb that, that stressor, that impact, and retain its form or spring back, bounce back into its form. So this is one one theme of ours is how do we how do we support that capacity this elasticity of uh, our heart and nervous system and then the other theme that I've already touched on of coming home really finding a, a sense of deep abiding in belonging in oneself discovering what that is for each of us, how we've known moments of feeling at home. We each have these moments in our life. You know, maybe a time when you were growing up and spending time with friends or family and it felt really held. Or a time as an adult, maybe when you were uh, out in nature and just felt that sense of connection everything's okay and somehow we we know our place within things. We get these flashes, these glimpses of moments in different ways, but we don't tend to live there. Those moments tend to get uh, covered over by the busyness of our lives and our roles and responsibilities. So how do we come back? How do we come back to that knowing inside? so that it becomes more a place where we can dwell rather than a random occurrence. And so one of the core um, dimensions of the Buddhist path to awakening is is a practice of coming home and strengthening a kind of resilience. 
And this is the, the set of practices that are known as the Brahma Viharas. These uh, Brahma means uh, heavenly or divine. And so there's that sense of um, like the best, the highest, something that's sublime. And vihara is a very interesting word. Vihara literally means um, abode or home or dwelling place. So these Brahma viharas are sometimes translated as um, heavenly ab- abidings, um, divine uh, qualities, or put in a little bit more of a down, down home way, our best home. Our best home. So the the Buddhist path we could understand as having having three kind of main uh, categories of practice. The first are um, practices that stabilize and steady our mind and attention. Uh, collectively known as uh, samatha or shamatha practices, sometimes referred to as concentration practices. These are practices whose main goal and intention is um, that sense of the apple juice settling. So it's about the mind becoming still, collected, stable, and steady. And these really strengthen the power of awareness. It's like um, having a telescope, a really powerful telescope with a tripod. And you set that tripod down and however uneven the ground is, if you set the tripod up right, that telescope's really stable. And then you can look through it and it has great power to see clearly even at a great distance. Then there's a whole nother uh, group of practices that are about investigating, that take this stability of mind, called samadhi, that take the stability of mind and begin to actually apply it. So it's actually like looking through that telescope or microscope, depending on which way you're, you're oriented, and beginning to understand what's happening. These are insight practices, referred to as vipassana practice. These are about looking deeply and studying our own mind and heart and what it is to be alive in the service of understanding, understanding our lives more deeply, a kind of understanding that leads to... uh, to freedom and peace so that we we actually know how to live in a way that's in harmony with the way things go rather than continually fighting and struggling that there's that sense that we have in life sometimes that it's a it's a grind you know that we're always kind of behind or always sort of at odds with things and every now and then 
they fall into place, but then just as, just as quickly as they fall into place, they get out of alignment again, and we're sort of like pulling or struggling with them. That's called dukkha. That's called stress, unsatisfactoriness, difficulty. And it's not inherent. It's, it's not, it doesn't need to be that way. That's the, that's the perspective that the Buddhist teachings offer. That there's this layer of stress that we add to life that's about our relationship with things that can be resolved when we understand the natural flow of life and begin to live in harmony with it. Then that friction, when there's no resistance, the friction goes down to zero. So this other suite of practices of investigation that lead to insight. And then we could say that there's a third category of practices that are about connection, that are about opening the heart and developing empathy, inhabiting the space of shared humanity. And these are the practices of the Brahma Viharas, these divine uh, resting places, these qualities, these sublime qualities in our heart. So uh, there are there are four of these qualities. And they all begin with one primary, uh, you could say, property of the human heart, which is the property of empathy. And in, in Pali, in the language of the early texts, the word for this is anukampa. Anukampa, a very beautiful word. Uh, anu means with or together. And kampa, the verb kampati means to tremble. To tremble, anukampa, to tremble with, to tremble with. And so there's that sense of resonance. So if, uh, if you have a stringed instrument and you pluck one string, the other strings tremble in resonance with it. And so our heart has this capacity for resonance. It's said that the, this quality of empathy is what motivated the Buddha to teach. There's a, a text in which the Buddha talks about his awakening, this like profound transformative insight that he had into the nature of the human mind and human life. You know, think about every now and then we have a good idea. And this was this was <laughs> This was an idea, this was an understanding that was so clear and so uh, of such great magnitude that millennia later, each of us sitting here in this room are still being impacted by this one person, the, the, the strength of this one person's insight. I mean, that's, that's a pretty amazing. And so he had this profound awakening. 
And he looked in his mind to see who's going to understand this. And he realized that the teachers he had studied with were all had passed away, that they were dead. And he realized this is so subtle, so profound, so difficult to see what I've understood. It's going to be impossible. It's so hard to explain this to anyone else. And it said that when he had that thought that he was moved by empathy to teach, he realized the world will, you know, will suffer if I don't share this. So this quality of empathy that's, uh, that's innate to us, you know, we're social creatures and we feel things. We're, we're wired for this. And uh, the, all of the... Um, neuroscience that's happened in the last couple of decades has, has borne out this fact that we, we come into this world, our, our very neurobiology is designed to feel with one another. You know, the, the human uh, brain actually needs empathic connection to form and develop properly. And it's developing all the way up into our 20s. Our brain is forming through relationship and through connection. So this quality of empathy of anukampa, this resonant capacity in the heart, flows into four different intentions, and it, it can take the, it can take the shape of uh, different facets or qualities and these are these are the four uh, brahma viharas these four um, beautiful qualities of the heart and the first of these is which is the one that kind of gets the most play in in spiritual circles in the buddhist world is is metta or loving kindness and the word metta comes from the root uh, for the word friend uh, mitta so it's, it's, it's that sense of friendship, of, of warmth or care in the heart. And then the second of these is karuna, or compassion, which is uh, when this, em- so this empathic quality of the heart, its general orientation is, is kindness, is, is goodwill. Just that sense of wishing well to oneself or another. And then when this resonance, feeling, sensing capacity meets hardship or suffering, then the response is compassion, is a movement towards the suffering to see if we can help alleviate it. When this resonance, empathic capacity of the heart meets Success, joy, happiness, its response is to celebrate, to rejoice, to join. So it joins the suffering with, a, with an impulse to help and be there, available. It joins the goodness, the joy, the happiness with a sense of embracing and celebration. And then the fourth quality, so the third quality is mudita, appreciative joy or empathic joy. And the fourth quality is upeka, equanimity, which is this uh, a balance of mind that's able to 
stay steady with the changes of life. And all four of these, they're not separate. They're like different faces, different facets of one heart. And they balance and support each other. They need each other to be whole and complete. Uh, Equanimity without compassion can become cold indifference. Compassion without equanimity can become sorrow or overwhelm. We need that sense of balance and stability in order to be with the suffering of one another. One of the analogies in, uh, in the texts that's used to describe these four qualities and their relationships is the arc of, de- of, uh, of a mother with a child. And so loving kindness is said to be that, that uh, the stage of nursing. So this beautiful sense of connection, this intimate connection with nourishment and holding So there's that sense of holding and being held, connected and nourished. And then compassion is as that infant becomes a toddler and a child and the the mother watches over the child to make sure that it's safe. And when the child bruises its knee or, you know, has something difficult happen, that the mother's right there to say, it's okay, come. I'll be with you. And then as that child grows and becomes a young adult and gets stronger and can do things on its own, there's the sense of, of rejoicing, of, of happiness in seeing the child become strong and independent and able to care for itself. And there's that sense of feeling uplifted and delighted in, in the growth of that child. And then as when the child becomes an adult and is off in the world, living its own life, taking care of itself, there's the sense of equanimity, of trust. This child is now on its own and he or she or they will meet the challenges and difficulties and joys of their life in their own way. And I can step back and just allow them to live their, live their life. So each of these qualities, the understanding is that these are innate in us. These are innate and that they get covered over through the busyness of our lives, through habit, um, through ignorance, we forget them. But that we, we each have experienced these in our life and that we each know these. That these, again, these are aspects of of uh, what it is to be at home in ourself. And so uh, there are uh, many ways of, of remembering them, coming back to them, and strengthening them, to uh, enhancing them. The Dalai Lama uh, once said, if we were aware that we all contain love within us, and that we can foster and develop it, we would certainly give it far more attention than we do. 
And so that's really, that understanding is really at, at the core of these practices, is that this, this understanding that we have these qualities within us, and that by giving more attention to them, they can grow. And so the mind is malleable. It can change shape and function. And that there are these practices we can use to guide the uh, form, shape, and patterns of our mind intentionally. So rather than allowing our mind and heart to be conditioned and formed and shaped by the pressures of our society and economy, that we can actually uh, choose to craft our own heart and mind in a different way. So the vision of what's possible here, uh, each of these qualities is also understood as a measureless or boundless quality because one of their aspects, one of their defining aspects, what what makes them sublime and heavenly is um, that they're unconditional. They move beyond the sense of separation and evaluation that marks most of our lives. I like this and I don't like that and I'll be kind and generous with you but not with you. And that this very sense of um, picking and choosing and evaluating cuts us off from something uh, precious about being human and being alive. And these qualities the cultivation of them begins to start to dissolve that sense of separation and moves us into a a space of limitless connection, boundless connection. This is from one of the texts that we'll, we'll look at over our weekend. It says, I will abide pervading the all encompassing world with a heart and mind imbued with kindness abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. So that's, that's the direction, that's the aim. So why don't we pause here, take a short break for about 10 minutes, um, and then when we come back, I'll offer some instructions and we can do, uh, do a practice together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.